Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Monday, December 9th, 2019. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown USA studio. Beantown USA is Boston's home for customized screen printing and embroidery. Get more information on their website, beantownusa.com. On today's show, I will react to all of week 14 in the NFL, including a brutal performance by the officiating crew at Gillette Stadium on Sunday in the Patriots-Chiefs game. The Patriots got screwed in this one, or at least uh, they got screwed from taking it into overtime. At the very least, this game between the Patriots and Chiefs should have been played in overtime, into overtime. It wasn't. It was ended in regulation. The Kansas City Chiefs won. And a lot now happens with the playoff picture because of this Kansas City win over the Patriots at Gillette Stadium. So I will get into that. I'll react to all of that game. And I will give you my top five takeaways from week 14 and take a look at the current playoff picture in both the AFC and NFC. And I'll close out the show with some breaking news in the professional wrestling world. In WWE, to be specific, we got some breaking news. I will react to that. To close out the show, all of it today presented by DraftKings. You can play for free at DraftKings.com or on the DraftKings app by using promo code PIC, P-I-C. That's promo code PIC, P-I-C. And you can play for free this Sunday in the $1 million play action contest for week 15 in the NFL. $1 million in total prizes with $100,000 going to first place. Sign up right now with promo code PIC. You could win $100,000 this Sunday. Play for free. Promo code PIC, P-I-C. Not a bad deal. Promo code PIC, P-I-C at DraftKings.com. Welcome to the show. Uh, if you're listening to this, then perhaps you are not having any issues with my podcast on whatever platform that you use to subscribe or listen to this show. Uh, it is on basically any platform that podcasts are available to. Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, uh, tune in, Google Play, Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, you name it, that's where you can get this podcast. But over the weekend, I was in the middle of a transfer. I've been transferring all my shows or my whole podcast feed to a different hosting service uh, for reasons that I will explain at a later date. But I'm getting that part of it out of the way now. And there were some issues, or at least there have been some issues with my podcast feed and all of the podcasts getting transferred over. And so um, what I told you on social media was if you have any issues, go to my website, at least here in the next couple of weeks. And my website is dannypicard.com uh, for those who do not pay attention to what I say every day on this show. But um. I apologize for those issues, but if you're listening to this, you found a way to listen, and that's good. It's not the, it's not like, like, if you want to listen to the show, you can find a way. Again, go to my website, dannypicard.com, but I think by the end of the day today, on Monday, all the issues on iTunes, Spotify, it should all be fixed, it should all be back to normal, so, um... I apologize for the inconvenience, if it is such an inconvenience to you. But let's get to the show, because I am fired up about the way this Patriots-Chiefs game ended. And uh, I'm I'm fired up about a lot of stuff, as I am on Monday, when I look back at the games on Sunday, especially with my picks. I have had a terrible year with my picks. It's not always this bad, believe it or not. It's not always this bad. Um... I went 2-2-1, two, two, and one, two wins, two losses, and a push. My push was the Colts plus three. They lost by three 
to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And uh, I wasn't, I didn't watch any of that game, but I was following along on the little scoreboard on the bottom of the TV. And the Colts lose by three in Tampa Bay. I had taken the Colts plus three, uh, so they do not cover there. That, but so that's a push, though. You know, I didn't, didn't lose any money on there on that game, so we don't consider it a loss. I know you could say, well, if you don't win, it's a loss. Not necessarily. If I'm not losing money, how's it a loss? It's just a push. So that was a push. Um, we'll put that over in the tie category. My first push of the year. Uh, the games I got right: Denver plus nine. I didn't think they win the game in Houston, but they beat the Texans and they beat them good. The Broncos, I just thought they would cover. I thought they would keep it close. They didn't just keep it close. They won the game. So I get Denver plus nine correct, and I get the Rams plus one on Sunday Night Football beating the Seahawks. I told you that the Rams would win this game. I told you that because this, is, this would be a perfect example of how stupid this league is, right? Seattle, the way they've been playing, the fact that you know they bounced up into the two seed in the NFC going into this game against the Rams, and the way the Rams have looked, which is basically they look like a broken team this year. I told you that Seattle shouldn't lose this game to the Rams, but they probably will based on how stupid this league is and how things usually work. Things that shouldn't happen usually do. And Seattle shouldn't have lost to the Rams, but they did. And that's how I predicted it to go down. I took the Rams plus one. Uh, so I got that right. So Denver plus nine, Rams plus one. Those are my wins. My push was the Colts plus three. My losses were the Raiders plus two. And this was back and forth. I think it was 21-21 at one point between the Raiders and the Titans. And then Tennessee pulled away. And they ended up winning that game. Uh, and it was 42-21. So the Raiders have just, they, they've blown it. And, and I stuck with them. You know, they, they, they blew it for me with the spread recently a lot. And I stuck with them. And I thought, this is a game they should win. And they didn't. And they didn't cover the two-point spread as a two-point dog. Uh, So that's one of my losses. My other loss was the Patriots minus three. And that brings me into this Patriots-Chiefs game. The Patriots obviously do not cover as a three-point favorite at home. They lose the game 23-16. to Should they have won the game? Well, I understand that there are a lot of people who probably will look at the Patriots... Just overall, at the way their offense has been performing, and they'll look at this game against the Chiefs, and they'll say, really, Danny, you're going to put this on the officiating? Given that the Patriots' offense clearly has some major issues that it doesn't look like they're going to fix. And those issues showed once again yesterday at home against the Chiefs. You're really going to put this on the officiating? And what I'll tell you is, I acknowledge the offensive issues that this team has. And I've never not acknowledged it. Did I think that they would figure some things out by now? Especially against the Kansas City defense that, for the most part, has really not been that good this year. Or or last year. Like, Kansas City's defense... I've told you many times on this show this year that... I, I, I just don't think... The Chiefs' defense has what it takes to allow them to make a deep run, especially if they run into a pretty good defense like the Patriots that is going to, at some point, be able to manage Patrick Mahomes and not let him, you know, not let him score 50 points. Um, 
Look, the Patriots defense allowed only three points in the second half yesterday in this 23-16 to loss. So you trail at the half, what was it, 20-7 to at the half. Then you let up the field goal in the third quarter. You trail 23-7 to at home in the second half. And I don't usually sit here and put things on officiating. I actually, I, I, I usually hate that argument. And if you listen to me, you know, I, I don't ever do this. Because I always say, if you want to argue about officiating, you, you could do it in every game. And the two sports, you look at it like that, is uh, maybe, maybe even three. I don't know that I put hockey in this category. Because I do think there's just, there's a difference. Yeah, you see bad calls in the NHL. But I don't think it's ever as foolish. I don't think it's ever as stupid. I, I just I just don't think... Like, there are bad calls in the NHL, but I don't look at NHL refs and think they're a bunch of dopes. I don't. I don't. The NBA, maybe there's some corruption there. Right? Maybe they're not dopes. But are they corrupt in the NBA, the refs? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the history has shown us there's corruption. In the NBA. It's it's really just Major League Baseball and the NFL with the umps and the officiating and the refs. They just seem like a bunch of boobs. Like, just a bunch of dopes that really don't know what's going on. That really don't know how to make a decision in their own brains to be correct based on what they see. And that's why we need all this review. Right? Because they don't get it correct. And... But I but I will always tell you, or most of the time I will tell you, if you want to argue, you know, balls and strikes in Major League Baseball, I'm not going to do it because we could do that every game. If you want to argue bad calls or blown calls in the NFL, I'm not really going to do it because we could do that every single game. Right? We could. But yesterday at Gillette Stadium, between the Patriots and the Chiefs, the officiating crew, especially in the second half, they absolutely screwed the Patriots at the very least, out of overtime. At the very least, out of overtime. You can make the argument, they screwed him out of a win. And and I don't usually go there, but I'm going here today because it was so blatantly obvious that the calls that the officials made affected the game to the point where they took touchdowns away from the Patriots. And the calls were wrong. So when you take touchdowns away, multiple touchdowns, and they turn out to be the wrong call. And then you fail to, to throw a flag on a blatant pass interference on the Dorset play late in the game. When, when, when you make these decisions as an officiating crew and you are costing a team field position inside the 10-yard line and multiple touchdowns in, in the fourth quarter of a close game, which now, when you look at the playoffs basically gave the Baltimore Ravens guaranteed them the one seed in the AFC. You have not you didn't just change the result of that game yesterday if you're the officials. You changed possibly the the road to the Super Bowl for the AFC. For the rest of the AFC. Like you decided the one seed yesterday. You didn't just decide this game. You decided the one seed in the AFC. You decided where the road to the Super Bowl was going to go through. Now, I don't think it was corruption at play. I'm not saying that's what these officials were thinking. I don't think they're that smart to think that up. 
This officiating crew yesterday, the result of what we saw from this officiating crew yesterday was the result of, how do I put this, low IQ, maybe? Like, this is br- this was brutal to watch. And I would be saying this if I was watching this game and I wasn't a Patriots fan. I would. Again, I don't sit here and blame officiating all the time. Officiating, for the most part, in the National Football League is something that you could argue every single game. But when you get this bad and you you take touchdowns away from a team in a close game that is essentially a playoff game, you, I mean, you get the Chiefs win the division with this win. The Patriots remain in the two-seed, and now the Patriots, just to even get a bye in the first round, if you assume that Kansas City's going to win out, which you should, if you're the Patriots, you now have to win out. Now, I know their games are against Cincinnati, Buffalo, and Miami, and the Patriots should win out. Buffalo's going to put up a fight. I get news for you. The Bills are going to put up a fight. Do I think the Bills are going to win that game in two weeks? No. I don't think Buffalo's offense is good enough to beat the Patriots' defense. But, you know, I don't think that's going to be an easy game. I'm not going to go into that game feeling good. I'm not. It's a divisional game against the Bills team that's still fighting and, and scratching for a playoff spot. They're 9-4. and four. Um, But but anyways, it, it's now the Patriots have to win out to get a first-round bye just to get the two-seed. Just to get the two-seed. And, um... It's because they didn't win this game yesterday. And they didn't win this game yesterday. Sure, there are issues with the offense. I get it. There are issues. We'll get to those issues. But the Patriots got screwed by the officials yesterday. They got absolutely screwed. And if you want to look at where they got screwed, where the controversy begins, you have to begin with the fumble. Travis Kelsey fumbles the football. Um, Now, keep in mind, at this point, it's a 23-13 to 13 game because you get the block punt. Nate Ebner blocked the punt. Then you get the Brandon Bolden, which leads to the Brandon Bolden touchdown as he gets the handoff in motion, uh, the, the failed two-point attempt. So Kansas City leads 23-13, to 13, right? They get a 10-point lead. Travis Kelsey, clear fumble. Devin McCourty, great play, knocks that ball loose. Stephon Gilmore picks it up, should have ran it in for a touchdown. What do the officials do? They blow the play dead. They say Kelsey is down. And then when they re- then when they review it, they give the Patriots the football because it's a fumble. But it's not a touchdown because the play was blown dead. So they got half of it right. What they didn't get right was the touchdown. It should have been a touchdown. Right? It should have been a touchdown. Cutting the Chiefs' lead to three. Cutting the Chiefs' lead to 23-20. Gilmore picks it up. E, that's an easy touchdown. But the refs blew the play dead. If you've watched the NFL this year, this is why this is so bad. Not just because in a vacuum they got that, that one wrong. It's because what we've seen the NFL do this year is that they have made it a point. The NFL, the officiating around the league, Without sending out a press release to everybody telling you how this is going to go down, the the unofficial press release was that if you've watched the NFL in every game, in every week this season, they have made it a point to eat the whistle. You go back to the, what was it, the New Orleans-Seattle game. Is that the one? 
the New Orleans-Seattle game early in the season, I think it was like the first or second game that Teddy Bridgewater took over for the Saints, and there was a play in which the Saints, the, you know, or was it the Rams? No, it was the Rams. It was the Rams-Saints, the game that, that Drew Brees got hurt, I think. It was the game that Drew Brees got hurt. And, and Teddy Bridgewater stepped in that game, and the Rams were driving, and they were inside the Saints' 20-yard line, and the Rams fumbled. The Saints picked it up, and the guy ran it like 80 yards for a touchdown, and here are the refs back at the, the 10-yard line waving their hands, blowing the whistle. They took away a touchdown from New Orleans. I think when they reviewed it, they gave the Saints the ball back, but they're like, ah, it can't be a touchdown. We, we are idiots, and we blew the play dead. So what you saw after that was, around the league, the officials made it a point to to not blow the whistle. And so that when they call it a turnover, every turnover is reviewed, right? Like, so, just eat the whistle, don't blow the whistle, let the guy run it in, run it down as far as he can. If he runs for a touchdown, rule it a touchdown. You know, and then it's a score. You're going to review this anyways. And if you review it, and it's not a fumble, you just reverse it, and that's that. And it's not a fumble, and the game goes on. Like, th- they want to they wanted to get it right. In fairness to the NFL, they did this throughout the league every week, ate the whistles, didn't blow the whistles, let the fumbles, you know, even if, they, even if it obviously wasn't a fumble, they made it a point to not blow the whistle and let it play out, knowing that they could, re- they could review it and reverse it if they needed to. Because any turnover is reviewable, right? Um, and, and so seeing that they do this around the league, it's infuriating to see that this play yesterday, they blew the whistle. It's like, guys, all year long, where have you been? Where has this officiating crew been? All year long, the NFL has made it a point to not blow the whistle in this exact situation. Even on plays that are brutally, obviously, brutally obvious, not fumbles. It's like, yeah, he did, that he was definitely down, but they still let the fumble go. They did that on purpose. There's a reason for that. They didn't want to. Sc- they didn't want to screw the team out of uh, out of a challenge. Um, but but that's what they did to the Patriots, and it affected them. Because they, and, and, and so, the, this is, again, I, I just, this officiating crew, even before then, I was tweeting up a storm about these refs. Because they were throwing flags, and then they were picking them up and being like, hey, there's no penalty. There was no penalty on the play. There's no penalty here. Nothing to see. We threw the flag by accident. One ref thought it was a penalty, the other didn't. We got together, we overruled it. They did this like five times they couldn't convince themselves of any call in this game and they just looked like a bunch of dopes and you almost had the sense that they were going to mess something up and they did and they blew the whistle on that Kelsey fumble they said he was down by contact and what they do in that situation is they make the Patriots challenge it and they take away a touchdown from the Patriots all right so you took away a touchdown you took away a touchdown. Brutal. Can't happen. The, the league has tried to make it, a, make it a point to not let that happen, and these idiots refereeing this game couldn't figure that out or couldn't remember that. 
brutal. So you get that. You get the ball. Um, no touchdown. They had it. They had to kick a field goal ultimately on this drive because they got another touchdown taken away from them on the Nikhil Harry play down the left sideline. They said he stepped out of bounds at the three-yard line. He didn't. He didn't. But the Patriots couldn't challenge it. And so that's enough. That, so you could say that on the same possession, and I'll say on the same possession, knowing that the fumble recovery led to this possession that led to the Neil Nikhil Harry play. I'll call it the same possession. The refs took away two touchdowns from the Patriots on the same possession for brutal calls. Like, like this game just has their fingerprints all over it at this point. So the Patriots then have to kick a field goal. So instead of this game on multiple occasions being turned into a 23-20 game at Gillette, Patriots got to kick a field goal, and instead of 23-20, to 20, it's 23-16, which is huge because the Patriots, later on in this game, two possessions later, get in to field goal, field goal range. And if the refs didn't take away two touchdowns from the Patriots on that drive, on the, on the fumble, and then the Keel Harry play... They would have been in field goal range. Now, would they have hit the field goal? Well, they've been dealing with some kicking issues. And and that could end up being an issue, right? A, a huge issue. Let's just say kicking is not one of the team's strengths at this point. They are a better team blocking punts than kicking field goals. I don't know that any team has ever been able to say that. Now, I I also say that with a lot of praise for the for the punt block unit, and we'll get we'll get to that. But um you know, the, the the kicking is an issue. There's no guarantee they would hit the kick, but at least the Patriots were in position to kick a field goal, but they couldn't even try it because they were down by a touchdown. And the only reason they were down by a touchdown is because the refs took away two touchdowns from them. It's ridiculous. And on top of that, on that final possession that I mentioned, in which they got down into field goal range. They're really only in field goal range because Tom Brady scrambled and ran for a first down on fourth down. Had a fourth down conversion with his legs. It was cool to see. He was fired up. But if they called the pass interference, the play before on third down when Brady went deep to Dorsett, they would have been in an even better field position. Like They would have been like inside the 10, right? Where was that Dorsett play? Now... There is a part of me that keeps watching that that I do think Dorsett overran the ball a little bit. I will say that. But but that guy was all over him, was tackling Dorsett as before the ball even got to him. He was in, he was in all out tackle mode. He had his arms around him, blocking both of his arms, and was taking him down to the ground. Yeah, they were both in the air at the time the ball got there, but Dorsett was already being taken down, was being, like, fully tackled. And they didn't throw a flag. If anything, the ref should have thrown a flag just as a a makeup call. Like, you know what? We screwed up twice. Here's one for you. Like, they should have, at the very least, given him a a makeup call. And where would that have been? 
That would have been inside the 10, right? I want to say it was close to the five-yard line. Anyways, the fact that the Patriots had to be forced to get a touchdown in this spot. I know you could say, well, they didn't get the touchdown. They still had a chance to get a touchdown. They had multiple plays they could have made. They didn't get them. And that speaks to the offensive issues this team has. And and they have offensive issues. I'm not trying to ignore that. But man, you should have been in position to kick a game, at the very least, to kick a game-time field goal. And send this thing to overtime at, ho- at home. And who knows what happens. Second half of this game, this Patriots defense was playing great. They're playing great. But the refs didn't even let you have a chance to kick a field goal to send it to overtime. That's wrong. That's wrong. The Patriots got screwed by the refs. I I, I don't know if I've ever come on and, and said that. Because... How I feel about officiating is there's always going to be an issue. It's a tough thing to complain about because we could complain about it in every game with every play and wonder what would be different in every game if we complain about every call. We could. But when you get something so obvious and you take away two touchdowns from the Patriots, right? (laughs) Two touchdowns from the Patriots. Um... And, again, I mean, if you just let the the fumble recovery go for a touchdown, 23-20, and then you factor in, or even if the the Nikhil Harry play was a touchdown, 23-20, if you throw the flag late on that ball to do a set, that gives the Patriots some great position. All of a sudden, they're in position. To, to score, t- to get a touchdown, to, to win the game in a 23-20 game. So, like, the refs just put the Patriots in a position they shouldn't have been in. And that is wrong. That is dead wrong. And th- those officials shouldn't, I mean, that group right there should not be in any playoff game. Like, you have to acknowledge just how bad that was. Even in the first half, they were throwing flags, and then they're like, eh, yeah, I threw the flag, but I'm not really sure. Like, that's basically what they were all game. That's what these refs were all game. And because of that, because of that, um, like, they couldn't convince them. When they threw the flag, it, like, wasn't a convincing penalty call. They threw the flag, and then they get together, like, hey, did you think it was a flag? I threw it just in case. (laughs) Then they decided, that's when they decided... Well, we're going to make some calls with conviction, whether it's throwing the flag or not throwing the flag. And um, the Dorset non-call was a non-call with conviction. They were like, there's no penalty here. They should have thrown the flag just as a makeup call. They didn't do it. These refs were horrible, and they cost the Patriots the game. And a whole lot happens because of it. A whole lot happens because of it. And I don't mean to... I know some people might say, well, you're burying the lead because the lead maybe should be Patriots of offensive issues. Even if the Patriots went on to, you know, send it to overtime and eventually win that game yesterday, we would still be talking about the Patriots issues today, offensively. We would. We'd be talking about the Patriots offensive issues. There's no question. There's no question. Um, But I do think that 
at this point, if you're Tom Brady, if you're Bill Belichick, if you're Josh McDaniels, they can say all they want about, you know, we got to we got to figure out what works. I mean, they're running out of, they're running out of time to figure out what works. Could you figure out what works against Cincinnati, Buffalo, and Miami in the final three? Well, maybe. But what's that going to say for you? You know, is that going to work in the divisional round against Kansas City? Which, if the playoffs began today, based on the current playoff format, Kansas City's the three seed. The Patriots are the two seed. The Patriots get a first round bye. Kansas City, if they win their wild card game at home over Pittsburgh, which they should, they would automatically be coming to Gillette Stadium, the two seed, for the divisional round. Would, even if the Patriots ended up winning that game yesterday in overtime, would you feel comfortable enough with the Patriots' offense that they could do that again? My point is, we, we, we can't ignore the offensive issues, and it's not just we, like the fans and people who, or people who cover the team or, or any of the national analysts or media members or anybody who watches football. I, I also mean the Patriots. I mean Brady, Belichick, McDaniels. At this point, you might just have to acknowledge what your strengths are. And your strengths, like you have to embrace those strengths. And your strengths right now, if you're the Patriots, are defense, especially making those halftime adjustments and second-half defense. Defense, forcing turnovers, and special teams. And I say special teams, more specifically, punt blocking. Punt blocking is a legitimate strength, so much so that there was a point in this game yesterday when they went for a punt block late, they didn't even have anybody back ready to return it. They were just sending everybody. They said, this this is one of our strengths, and I think that's a sign of the Patriots embracing that. They got another punt block yesterday from Nate Ebner. I almost expect one of these a game from the Patriots. It's crazy to think <laughs> that that's a legitimate strength of a football team at any level. But especially in the NFL, it's a legitimate strength to the point where I am all in when another team has to punt. Like, I am usually you're like, uh, all right, we're getting the ball back. And you're just kind of maybe sitting there and, and, yeah, you're paying attention to the punt, but you're not really fully engaged on the play until your punt returner catches the ball. And sometimes not even then. You're just like, let's just get the, let's get it, fair catch it, get Tom Brady back on the field. When the, when another team punts to the Patriots now, like I am on the edge of my seat, locked in, all in on that play, because I understand it's a strength. It's a strength. And, and yeah, you could say maybe that's a knock on how, how much their offense is struggling. But really, it's just an acknowledgement of how good that unit has been and how dangerous they are and how much they can change the game. To give the Patriots field position like that when they need that type of help, if you can do it, if it can, if punt blocking can be one of your strengths, you need to embrace that. And I think the Patriots showed a sign of embracing that yesterday. And I think they need to acknowledge it and embrace it here moving forward. Defense and punt blocking are their strengths. The offense right now is struggling. And, you know, I don't think it's just personnel. I think it's just... Like, the perfect example, if you wanted to sum up, if you wanted to sum up 
what this Patriots offense is, there was one play specifically that I look at yesterday, and it, it frustrates me. And I know it's going to frustrate Tom Brady, Belichick, McDaniels, and Philip Dorsett when they look at the tape this week. There was a clear-cut, all-out blitz coming from Kansas City. Dorsett was on the left side wide. It was one-on-one man coverage. He even had some cushion there. I don't, I don't think that cornerback was up pressing him on the line. Like, I think he gave him some space. But it was an all—either way, it was an all-out blitz. They knew it was coming. Brady even, you know, made the signal over to him and to the, to the offense of what was coming. Hey, guys, let's go. Be ready. We got an all-out blitz. And Dorsett just didn't get the message. He just kept running straight down the field. Brady quickly gets it, throws it to its left, thinking there's going to be some type of comeback route from Dorsett. And Dorsett's just running straight down the field. Like he's just running a, a streak deep to the end zone. It's like, no, dude. And and that ball just ends up hitting the ground 10 yards in front of him. Brady's on the ground. That play right there was a perfect example of the miscommunication that you've been seeing between the veteran quarterback and the young, inexperienced receivers. Though Dorsett, you know, he this guy, is a he's a tricky cat to figure out. Because there are times where I'm like, Dorsett gets it, Brady likes throwing to him, Brady trusts him. There have been times like that over the last couple seasons. And then when we see that, Brady gets away from him. And even someone like myself has questioned getting away from Dorsett in those moments. But when you see a play like that yesterday, and a decision like that that Dorsett makes, in which it's clearly obvious that Dorsett is in the wrong. Like, you gotta give some credit to Brady. Like, you could see him motioning and audible and changing something and letting everybody know, here's what's coming our way. Here's what we need to do. I need everybody on the same page right now. Like, you got to give credit to Brady. He knows what he's doing in that spot. Right? Uh, we're giving him the benefit of the doubt there. This one's on Dorsett. He's running straight down the field. Doesn't come back for the football. It's like, dude, this is a comeback route. You probably get it. Pick up a first down. Like, what are we doing? You see, you see a play like that, and then you kind of maybe understand why at times Brady has gone away from Dorsett because maybe he just doesn't. Maybe he just doesn't get it. He can't pick it up. He can't read the defenses. He's not on the same page as Brady, and maybe he never will be. Um, we've seen routes, wrong routes run by Jacoby Myers. I mean, I don't know. We weren't really seeing Nikhil Harry out there yesterday. What's the issue with that? Is that injury-related? Is there something else going on there? Is he still working with the playbook? Mohamed Sanu. Like, what's going on there? Is that injury-related? Or is he just somebody that doesn't get it, too? But, man, what don't you get? Like, figure it out. You're working with the greatest of all time here. Not just the greatest quarterback, the greatest coach. Figure it out. These guys cannot figure it out. The offensive line, there are some issues there as well. But credit where it's given to Kansas City. Like, you know, they were coming for Tom Brady yesterday. And they were sending a lot of guys to do it. You know, there was one point late, right? You had a Edelman had to come in and get, give the block. You know, he had to come in to block. You're getting some extra protection. Need someone to come in and chip someone and, and, and just create that extra second. Because they're all over Brady. Offensive line needs to step up too. But man... Those moments when you know the blitz is coming and Dorsett, let's go, little comeback route. Why are you running straight down the field? Like, that is a play that's going to infuriate them when they watch film this week. Because that's the difference. 
you know, that that moment where that wide receiver is lined up wide, if he's not on the same page with the rest of the offense in that type of situation, then you are going to have major problems. And you are going to continue to have all the problems that this Patriots offense continues to have. And so you ask the question, will they fix it? Well, if a guy like that is never going to be able to see and read the defense the way the rest of the offense is, then no, you're never going to fix it. And that's not on Tom Brady. That's on the receiver not being able to figure something out between his own ears, seeing with his own eyes, and going, here's what I have to do now. This game isn't as simple as me running down the field thinking the quarterback's just going to toss it up and I have to go get it. It's not that simple. And if these receivers, these inexperienced young receivers cannot figure that out, then this Patriots team is not going to figure it out offensively. So at that point, you got to embrace your strengths, right? Defense and punt blocking. And I know you could laugh when I keep saying punt blocking is their biggest strength, but man, you tell me you're not in the edge of your seat every time the Patriots have to block a punt? It's a legit strength. Like, they're better at blocking punts than maybe they're better at anything else. I mean, they're, and they're so good at punching balls out, creating fumbles, like, defensively, like, creating turnovers. And it's not luck. Like, they practice this stuff. They practice this stuff. More than other teams, clearly. They value it more than other teams, clearly. And, you know, the sad part about it is doing those things, embracing those strengths, they should have still had a chance to win that game yesterday if not for the officiating. And if you end up winning that game yesterday, then you still have a chance at the one seed, even though Baltimore beat Buffalo, um, because you'd still have the same record as them. You'd only be a game behind. You know, Baltimore, maybe they lose a game here in their final three. They got the Jets, Cleveland, and Pittsburgh. Cleveland already beat them once. That game's in Cleveland in two weeks. Maybe Cleveland, who's still alive in the playoff race, beats them again. Right? You know, if the Patriots kept with Baltimore with the same record, Baltimore in Week 17 against Pittsburgh would have to play Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh's a team fighting for a playoff spot. Who knows what happens in that game? Patriots would still be alive for a one seed. Instead now, they're essentially two games behind Baltimore. Which means that, you know, if Baltimore wins their next two, they're probably going to rest all their guys against Pittsburgh in Week 17. And for the Patriots to just get a first-round bye, they have to win out because you now need to assume that Kansas City's going to win out and Kansas City now holds the head-to-head tiebreaker over you. It's a joke. And it's it has to do with officiating. The Patriots lost this game because of the refs, and it should be not just looked into by the NFL, but this officiating crew should not be allowed to officiate a playoff game. They shouldn't. They should be told no, and they should be told no today. You want to suspend them? Suspend them. Brutal. Just brutal. They made it a statement. Don't blow the whistle if there's a play that's potentially a fumble. Let's rely on the review system that we have on this specific type of play. They made it a point throughout the league every week. What did this idiotic officiating crew do yesterday? They blew the whistle. 
And it's a joke. So, um, I guess that's the state of the Patriots. And right now, you know, this is their second straight loss. They're 10-3. and three. I'm not sitting here telling you the sky is falling, but given how good Baltimore's been, like, you still wanted a shot at the one seed here moving forward. And, and I guess that brings me to my top five takeaways from week 14. And number one is I have highlighted in bold, in all caps, Number one of my top five takeaways from week 14 is that barring a complete and utter meltdown by the Ravens, the road to the Super Bowl in the AFC will now go through Baltimore. Like, it's it's set in stone. It's set in stone. Um, the only way for the Patriots to get the one seed is if Baltimore loses two of their last three and the Patriots win out. Because if the Patriots win out and they get to 13 wins um, and the Ravens, if they if if they only win two of their last three, they'll have 13 and they control the head-to-head tiebreak over the Patriots. For the Patriots to get the one seed now, it's not going to happen. Baltimore needs to lose two of their last three and the Patriots need to win out. Baltimore's not losing two of their last three. They're just not. They're not. They play the Jets, they play Cleveland, and they play Pittsburgh. Um, you know, the the I guess the only chance they have is if I assume Baltimore's gonna beat the Jets next week, which will give them 12 wins, 12 and 2. Baltimore then is in Cleveland in week 16. I guess it depends on what Cleveland is playing for at that point in time. Cleveland right now is six and seven. Uh, they are coming off a win. Cleveland beat Cincinnati, which they should have, obviously, and they did. They're 6-7. and seven. They are a long shot to get a wild card. Pittsburgh's the sixth seed right now at 8-5. and five. Um, it's, a, it's a long shot for Cleveland. I guess it depends on, on what Cleveland does in Arizona. Next week. And then we can look a little more closely at Baltimore, Cleveland in two weeks. But let's just say, for shits and giggles, that Baltimore beats the Jets. They get the 12 wins. That Cleveland somehow is still alive after beating Arizona and getting a 7-7. Seven and seven, And they're still alive for wild card. Cleveland, who's already beat, beat Baltimore this year once. This one is in Cleveland in two weeks. Let's just say Cleveland beats Baltimore again. And Baltimore will be 12-3 and going into a Week 17 game against Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh will still be playing for something. A wild card spot. And then if, you, if the Patriots win two against Cincinnati and Buffalo, which they should, and get the 12 wins, and all of a sudden both Baltimore and the Patriots have 12 wins, Baltimore then has to play the Week 17 game against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's playing for something too. I guess then you never know what could happen. Then you never know what could happen. Am I trying to talk myself into the Patriots having a realistic shot at the one seed? Yeah, I guess I am. It, would it, I guess the more you think about this stupid league, would it be all that crazy to see Baltimore lose to Cleveland and Pittsburgh to close out the season and the Patriots to win out and still get the one seed? Maybe it wouldn't be all that crazy. Would I put my money on it? No. So I think realistically what you do have to look at is that Baltimore is going to win two of their last three, which will give them the one seed even if the Patriots went out. 
the Patriots right now, we have to focus on just the first round bye, just the two seed. Because if Kansas City wins out and gets 12 wins and the Patriots lose one of their last three, Kansas City is going to get the two seed and the Patriots will be playing in the divisional round. So, uh, because Kansas City holds the tiebreaker over the Patriots now. So the Patriots, they still can control their own own destiny for a first-round bye at Cincinnati, at home against Buffalo, at home against Miami. But, man, crazier things have happened, right? And, And with the issues on offense, I guess there's no guaranteed wins anymore for this Patriots team. I mean, yesterday at the half, at 20, when the Patriots trailed 27, when they trailed 20 to 7, I. That was the first time in a long time I sat there and, and thought to myself, I don't think there's a comeback coming today. I don't think there's a comeback coming today. Like, I felt that. And I couldn't tell you the last time I felt that. Like, I even felt there were comebacks coming. In Super Bowls, even though I was beside myself and and the Patriots are behind in those Super Bowls. You know, I, there was still hope. Like yesterday at the half, watching this offense, I'm going, "Ah, I I, I don't know. I'm not too hopeful right now. Um, So there's, I guess there's no guaranteed wins for the Patriots, but it would be nice to have a chance at that one seed and know that, hey, if you do get to that AFC championship, if you do have to play Baltimore again, a team that already beat you, then at least you get that game at home. I mean, now there's no guarantee they even get a first-round bye. So a lot has opened up here in the AFC with regards to the two-seed. And Kansas, Kansas City's still alive for that. So, uh, I mean, the Patriots, look, they got the start they wanted, too, offensively, at least yesterday. Right? They get the ball first. Not saying that they wanted the ball first, but when you get the ball, your first possession, you know, you got a couple of plays. You, you run in the no huddle a little bit. You run in the hurry up a little bit. That's what I told you last week I thought they, they should do early on in this game because that's when they're most successful, running the no huddle a little bit. A couple third down passes. There were some flags that helped them out, but those are obvious pass interference calls. You get first downs on that. You get the flea flick, a touchdown. All right, little trickery. Let's go. Let's get nuts. Use that trickery to your advantage. Why not? So you started the game 7-0. You know, then you play some defense. It's Kansas City kicks a field goal. It's 7-3. You know, it's looking good. And then you have a terrible second quarter. You allow 17 points in the second quarter. Brady throws that brutal interception. That's one of the worst interceptions you're going to see Brady throw, by the way. That was like a, um, I didn't see that guy interception. There aren't many times Brady throws an interception where it's a, oh, I didn't see that guy. Brady usually sees that shit. That's that's one of those you don't usually see. And I'm not saying Brady's a perfect quarterback. He's not. We've seen him throw some tough picks. We've seen him throw some tough picks in the end zone this year. Um, We've seen him make bad decisions in the biggest games. He's not a perfect quarterback. He's the GOAT, but he's not perfect. But that interception yesterday was one of those where it's like, eh, that's an interception you see guys around the league make. You don't see Tom Brady make. That's a, oh, I didn't see that guy coming. 
interception. And and that was tough to watch. And that second quarter was terrible. And then the Patriots looked like they're going to come back. They get the punt block. Oh, they got a fumble. Up, oh, the refs blow the whistle. And the refs, that's when they began to screw the Patriots over. And the Patriots got screwed. And then, it, again, I'm getting away from the top five takeaways from Week 14. But it's just, you know, I'm venting here. Because that was just infuriating to watch yesterday. As these officials were just so idiotic. I mean, inexcusable. However you want to describe it, it was bad. And the NFL needs to step in and do something about it. So, um, number one, my top five takeaways from Week 14, barring a complete meltdown by the Ravens, the road to the Super Bowl in the AFC is going to go through Baltimore. Unless Baltimore has a complete meltdown and loses to Cleveland and Pittsburgh. I mean, if they lose to the Jets next, next week, then you're going to get interesting. Then it'll get interesting. Right? If Baltimore loses to the Jets next next week, but they're not going to lose to the Jets. They are not going to lose to the Jets. I'd be shocked if Baltimore loses to the Jets. Shocked. That'd be the, that would be the worst loss of the season for any team. For any team. If Baltimore lost to the Jets. That would be them choking. Okay? But that's not going to happen. So, number one, the Ravens. Now, the road to the Super Bowl, to the AFC, goes through Baltimore, number two, uh, Kansas City, they jump into the number three seed. They jump up from number four into the number three seed. They clinch their division with their win, but they jump up to the three seed because Houston lost at home to Denver. The Texans, they beat the Patriots. Then they're going to play Denver. I told you, I took Denver plus nine. I thought Denver would keep it close because I thought... Houston would have a little letdown. You know, they'd let their guard down a little bit after a big win over the Patriots, feeling a little too good about themselves, maybe. And Denver, with a top-five defense, would go in there and put up a fight. They got Drew Locke. They've, they've handed the keys to the car to Drew Locke as their quarterback. And I thought they Denver would put up a little fight. I didn't think they'd win the game. Houston loses the game. They're 8-5. and five, And now, you know, they find themselves in a tiebreak of the first place in that AFC South with Tennessee, who's 8-5. and five. And Houston and Tennessee are going to play twice now in the next three weeks, possibly to decide that division. So Houston has really screwed themselves over, and because of that, Kansas City jumps up to the three seed, which means that because they're the three seed, like I said, if the playoffs began today and the Patriots ended up as the two seed, Kansas City is the three seed, if Kansas City beats Pittsburgh in the wildcard round, automatically Kansas City comes to Gillette for the divisional round. And your first playoff game, if you're the Patriots, would be against Kansas City. Same situation that we saw yesterday. Right? So, number two is Kansas City jumps up to the three seed, and that could um, give us a little preview as to, to now we might know, if it ends like this, it's Kansas City coming to Gillette in the divisional round. And that's a scary divisional round opponent. It is. So that's number two with Kansas City. Number three over to NFC. San Francisco is back to controlling their own destiny for the NFC West and the number one seed in the NFC as San Francisco with a late kick. They beat New Orleans in a wild one. In a wild one. 48 to 46. Hope you took the over. 48-46, to San Francisco wins. And like I said, because of it now, San Francisco at 11-2 and 
they jump back up into the one seed because Seattle lost to the Rams. So now Seattle is 10-3. and three. Seattle still holds the head-to-head tiebreaker over San Francisco, which is going to make their Week 17 game between San Fran and Seattle. I think it's in Seattle. Yeah, it is. It's in Seattle in Week 17. Uh, that's going to be interesting. That's going to decide the division probably. Right? But right now, San Francisco, they control their own destiny. Their schedule against Atlanta, a game they should win. Against the, uh, the LA Rams, a game they should win. And then in Seattle, if San Fran wins those three games, regardless of what happens, they will be the one seed in the NFC. So they control their own destiny because they beat New Orleans and because Seattle uh, lost to the Rams on Sunday Night Football. So San Fran, the one seed in the NFC. Uh, my number four takeaway, the NFC Wild Card. It gets interesting now with the Rams winning their second straight and beating Seattle. The Rams are on the outside looking in at 8-5. and five. Currently, the wild cards, Seattle, the five seed at 10 and three. They're getting in. But it's Minnesota, the six seed at nine and four. And Minnesota, you know, you look at the Vikings right now. They handle their business yesterday at home. They beat Detroit, a team they should beat. That's a game they should win. You got to win those games. At this point, the games that you, you should win, you have to win. And Minnesota right now, they got. They got the Rams right up their ass for that six seed. And in a strange way, like Green Bay is 10 and three. And Minnesota at nine and four, they play in Minnesota in two weeks, Green Bay and Minnesota. Uh, and so Green Bay now is Chicago, Minnesota, and Detroit. That Chicago game is not going to be easy for Green Bay either. It's not. It's not going to be easy for them. The good thing is, it's at Lambeau. Right now, Chicago's still alive at 7-6. and six Because of their win over the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys, man. That NFC East. Like, you got the Eagles at 5-7. and seven. You got the Cowboys at 6-7. and seven. But the Cowboys are, are the fourth seed. They're in the, the fourth spot in the NFC. A game under 500 because they lead the division. Because the rest of the division sucks. But it's like Dallas, they're not doing themselves any favors by losing on Thursday Night Football. They've lost three straight. They're not firing the coach. Um, You know, at this point, you're not going to fire the coach because you're still the division leader, right? So if the playoffs begin today, you still get a home playoff game. But man, I mean, Philly's alive in that division. But Chicago beats Dallas, so they're 7-6, and six, so Chicago technically is alive in a wild-card spot. I don't think Chicago's going to get in. Their schedule moving forward is at Green Bay, against Kansas City, and then at Minnesota. That's too difficult. They're not, I think Chicago's... Mathematically, Chicago's alive, but I think for the sake of the realistic playoff argument, we can take the Bears out of this and say that the only two teams on the outside looking in the NFC that are alive are the Rams at 8-5, and five, who are a game behind Minnesota for the wild card, six, the sixth seed, and the Eagles at five and seven, who are not alive for a wild card, but they are certainly very much alive for the NFC East, which would get them the four seed. Right? Uh, but my number four takeaway is that things get interesting with that six seed because the Rams win. And the Rams schedule moving forward is at Dallas, which at this point looks like a game they could win. At San Francisco, 
which again, a game San Francisco should win, but crazy things have happened, right? It's a divisional game. And then against Arizona. I mean, for Minnesota at the Chargers, against Green Bay, against Chicago, you know, we've we've seen teams blow it worse than Minnesota could blow it. And the Rams could get in. I'm just keep an eye on it. That's something to keep an eye on, for sure. The NFC wildcard race for that sixth seed. And then number five, my number five takeaway, the AFC wildcard race. You know, it's it's a dogfight with a couple more teams involved. Uh, Pittsburgh's a sixth seed at eight and five. They host Buffalo next week, which who knows? I mean, that could create an opening for the five and the sixth seed. Like if Pittsburgh beats Buffalo... They'll both be nine and five. And whatever happens with Cleveland, Tennessee, Oakland, and Indianapolis, you gotta still keep Indianapolis alive as well. Though Indies, they're in New Orleans. Man, I mean, you gotta credit Tennessee here, right? Another win for them yesterday. They beat Oakland. Tennessee, they're they're in a battle for the division, like I mentioned earlier. So it's it's a little more wide open in the AFC. It's a little more wide open. But if you're Buffalo and Pittsburgh, you got a big game. That's a huge game with, with wild card implications. Huge game. If Buffalo wins, they get their 10th win. I think they're going to secure themselves a playoff spot. That might clinch it for them, right? Is that clinching a playoff spot? Possibly. We'd have, I'd have to get into the numbers with that. But they get 10 wins. It looks to me like that would... Like, that would do it. Um, though, like I said, it depends what, what happens with Tennessee. And even Cleveland. Um, no, I think I think 10, 10 gets them in, I think, for Buffalo. If they beat Pittsburgh, I think, because then they'll hold the tiebreak over Pittsburgh, I think Buffalo gets in the playoffs if they win that and get their 10th win. But what that will do is it'll make Pittsburgh 8-6, and six, which, again, opens the door up for Tennessee and even still Cleveland. At six and seven. I'd say Oakland mathematically at six and seven, but man, Oakland that's just they've let me down from a gambling perspective, and I'm sure they've let Raiders fans down. Cause not too long ago, a couple weeks ago, you're sitting there looking at Oakland going, Wow, this is a team that could sneak into a wild card spot. And even possibly, you know, have a shot at their division. We were saying that a couple weeks ago. Not anymore. And then Indianapolis. You know, they can't lose you can't lose that game to Tampa Bay. It's simple as that. They've lost three straight. And so, even though mathematically they're alive, I don't know that I can put them in the playoff picture. But mathematically, they're alive. And so, it's a little. that's why I say it's a little more wide open in the AFC. But those are my takeaways for Week 14. Uh, week 14 is going to end with Monday Night Football. The Eagles hosting the Giants. The Eagles a 9.5-point favorite. I'm not going to spend too much time on that because by the time you listen to this, that game might be over with. But um, when we look ahead to Week 15, first thing I do is look at the Patriots-Bengals spread. We're on to Cincinnati. And you didn't hear that yesterday in the postgame, did you? I think there's a reason for that. Now, I always wonder, was something said, like, we're not mentioning on to Cincinnati. Or did everybody just know, let's not do that again? I don't know. I, I, I'd love to know the secrets inside those walls at Foxborough. But I, at least I didn't hear anyone say it. At least I didn't hear Belichick say it. Who, who's asking Belichick about the crowd? Did you hear that question? About the crowd booing? Like, really? That, 
That's that's what we're going with? You think Belichick's going to answer a question about the crowd booing the team? Come on. But we're on to Cincinnati. The Patriots right now, a nine-and-a-half point favorite in Cincinnati. It's the Patriots' final road game of the regular season, and then they'll close it out at home against Buffalo in Week 16, which is a Saturday game, by the way. And then against Miami on Sunday, December 29th at Gillette, Sunday at 1. So uh, if the Patriots win out, they get the two seed. If they lose one and Kansas City wins out, Patriots get the three seed. There are offensive issues to the Patriots. We know that. The Patriots know that. They need to embrace their strengths. Because if someone like Dorsett isn't picking up the routes, you know, we saw Jacoby Myers run a couple wrong routes the last couple weeks. I don't know if Nikhil Harry is still banged up. That's why he's not playing a lot. I don't know if Sanu is banged up. That's why he's not playing a lot. You know, you can only rely on Edelman so much, so many times. And the offensive line has some work to do still. And so your strengths right now are defense, which is a great strength, by the way. Don't get me wrong. It's a great strength. And punt blocking, which again, I know it seems like maybe a knock on the offense, but when I say that, but it really is a strength, the Patriots punt block. I've, I've, I've never felt this way about a, a special teams unit or about punt blocking. I've never felt this way, but it is crazy to, to, to think that the next time a team is going to punt to the Patriots, I know that I'll, I'll be on the edge of my seat thinking there's a very good chance the Patriots block this punt. Very good chance. It's a game changer for them. It's a strength. They need to embrace it. Um, what? How, how deep can you go? embracing those strengths. I know you might sit there and go, you're going to need the offense to click at some point or it's not going to work. Well, I'll also point out, to, point, I'll point out the Super Bowl. You held the Rams to, to three points. And, like, you win that Super Bowl in a fashion that, I think going into that game, a lot of people we're telling us, oh, you got to put up some points. <laughs> like, you, you know, they, you know, the Rams are going to get their, they're going to get their points. And the Patriots defense played great. And you didn't have a great offensive day. So you can't really tell me that you can't win with special teams and defense. You can. And the Patriots have proven they can do it. I, I think the question is going to be, can you go into Baltimore? The, the ultimate question is really going to be, can you go into Baltimore and slow down Lamar Jackson? That's the question. Do you have, did you get a different answer? Do you have a different answer to that question today than you did yesterday? Because my answer yesterday, uh, before the game, two days ago, can you go into Baltimore and slow down Lamar Jackson? I'd say, well, first of all, I'd prefer that game to be at Gillette. I'd prefer that game to be in Foxborough. Now, before yesterday, you had a chance to have that game at Gillette. Now it's pretty clear the road goes to Baltimore. But I'd still tell you, yeah, I think the Patriots' defense getting a second shot at Lamar Jackson, I think they got a shot to slow him down. That didn't really change. That answer to that question doesn't change today. So... This, and I know you might be thinking I'm, I'm going out of my way to put a positive spin on this. Uh, 
But I think if you really break it down like that, seeing how the Patriots have won playoff games and even Super Bowls with defense and special teams, seeing that those are their strengths right now, is it impossible to think that they can still win with those strengths? I don't think it's impossible. So I'm not sitting here throwing in the towel on the Patriots season. You know, they still have a shot. You'd like to see them fix some things in the offense. But at this point, if those kids aren't getting it right now, right? If they don't have the football IQ to understand a simple comeback route when it's an all-out blitz, even when Brady's telling you before the snap, if you can't figure that out in that game, in week 14, are you ever going to figure it out? It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. It certainly could help, but it doesn't look good from an offensive standpoint. But defensive and special teams, and more specifically, punt blocking, it sounds ridiculous to say that a team has a shot to win with the, with one of their greatest strengths being punt blocking, but you know what? If any team has a chance to win like that, it's a Bill Belichick-led Patriots team. And, and you can't convince me otherwise. So, Patriots, the season is not over. It is not over. It is not over. It goes on, and we are on to Cincinnati. I'll give my picks for week 15 on Thursday's podcast. Get this show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. Hopefully the issues with my podcast feed will be fixed by later today on this Monday, December 9th. But um, we get the winter meetings in Major League Baseball this week. If any news or juicy rumors come out from these winter meetings, especially with the Red Sox. I will react to that on Thursday. Again, every Monday and Thursday. Subscribe to the show. Go to my website, dannypicard.com. And actually, you know what? Before I do officially close it out, I I teased the WWE breaking news. So I got to give you that for the portion of my fan base that is interested in professional wrestling. I know I, I there are some people. I have a portion of my fan base that enjoys wrestling like I do. And... If you're a nostalgic wrestling fan, like I am, then you will enjoy this breaking news. The WWE Hall of Fame Class of 2020, which will be inducted before this year's WrestleMania, which is, what, where is it? In Tampa Bay, I think? Outside, where the Buccaneers play? Is Raymond James Stadium, is that the name of that place? Uh, I, I think it's in Tampa Bay, right? Either way, did the... the WWE Hall of Fame Class of 2020 at this year's WrestleMania will be headlined by the NWO, the New World Order. That's right. The NWO will be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame as well as Batista. So those are some of the names we're hearing right now. That news was broken, I think, by ESPN this morning. I think I read that on ESPN. I read the NWO part on ESPN, at least. I thought the NWO was already in the Hall of Fame. I thought they were already in. I know Hulk Hogan's in, right? Hulk Hogan's got to be. Yeah, he's in. They took him out for a little bit there because they just removed him from the company. Uh, but he's back in. Um, Kevin, so it's going to be only four members. There were a lot of members of the NWO, but they're only inducting four. The four originals, they're saying. Hulk Hogan. Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, and X-Pac. X-Pac. What was he known in? In WCW, he was known as Six 
Six-Pac? Is that who he was? When I think NWO, I don't think X-Pac. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I do feel like if they're going to do this NWO induction into the Hall of Fame, and they're not going to go with everybody, because let's face it, like, even when they brought the NWO to WWE after Vince McMahon bought WCW, and you had, like, that was such an interesting time in pro wrestling. You know, the Monday Night Wars, all of a sudden, Vince McMahon buys WCW. Shane McMahon's on WCW Monday Nitro. You just kind of wipe out WCW completely, bring all the WCW guys into WWE. All of a sudden, you got you got Hogan back in a WWE ring as a leader at NWO. You know, Hogan versus The Rock at WrestleMania. And then Hogan goes back to the to the red and yellow Hulk Hogan, you know, the real American. Um, Hulkamania returns. Say your prayers, eat your vitamins. But if when I think of the NWO, I think of Hogan, Hall, and Nash. I think of the Outsiders, Hall and Nash, or as they were in WWE, WWF, Diesel and Razor Ramon, and I think of Hulk Hogan, Hollywood Hogan, Kevin Nash, and Scott Hall. That's the NWO. That one night that they had that Hogan, that Hulk Hogan turned and became a heel and became the leader of NWO and Mean Gene Oakland's interviewing them, people are throwing trash into the ring. That's the NWO, those three. I don't think of X-Pac with those guys. Why are they doing that with X-Pac? Why are they throwing him in that group for this induction? I don't agree with that. And that's, I don't know that I'm using that as a knock on X-Pac. I like X-Pac. But I think of him as a, he's DX. And I know he was in both groups. And maybe that's why they're doing it because he's unique in the sense where he was in both groups during those Monday Night Wars. NWO and DX, D-Generation X. But then when, when, you know, when they all came to WWE and Vince McMahon bought WCW, they kept NWO going. Shawn Michaels joined the NWO. Remember that? Like, that's, that actually happened. I don't think it lasted that long, but it happened. I remember Kevin Nash was in the ring. It was like Monday Night Raw, and he said, we got a new member of the NWO, and Shawn Michaels' music hit, and he had the NWO t-shirt, and he comes in, he's giving the two sweets, and... So you don't put Shawn Michaels? Shawn Michaels is in NWO. Does he not go down as an NWO member in the Hall of Fame? I don't know, maybe they do something crazy where they say... Anybody in the building or in the back that was once an NWO, come on out. Like, maybe they do that. Because in WCW, it got crazy. You had, then you, all of a sudden, you had two different factions of the NWO. You had the NWO uh, original, black and white, and then you had NWO Wolfpack, the black and red. And, like, Sting was in the NWO. Yeah, it got, it got out of control. To the point where it was like everybody in WCW was in NWO, it's just what side were you on? Were you in the original or were you in the Wolfpack? It got out of control. So if you're going to just, and I, I, I agree with going only with a couple guys during this NWO Hall of Fame induction, but if you are going to do it like that, you should only do Hogan, Hall, and Nash. That's all you should do. Why did I think they, who, so who's it, a Hall and Nash in? I'd have to look. Are they in as the click? 
the click, right? With Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Diesel, Razor Ramon, I don't even, I, I honestly don't even know. I'm pretty sure I've watched a Hall of Fame induction and I've seen Hall and Nash get inducted. Like, they're in, right? Maybe I'm losing my mind now. Either way, if they're going to induct the NWO, it should be Hogan, Hall, and Nash because that trio on that night when they created the NWO, that didn't include X-Pac. And when I think NWO, I don't think X-Pac. And when I think X-Pac, I don't think NWO. He might have been one of the early originals. But, like, so wasn't the big show, right? So wasn't Eric Bischoff. So, I think if you're not putting those guys in, then you shouldn't put X-Pac in either. It should just be Hogan, Hall, and Nash. But, anyways, they changed, that changed the wrestling world, right? That changed the wrestling world. And it led to some pretty cool storylines. Even when those guys came over to WWE. So uh, that's the breaking news. NWO is going in the Hall of Fame and so is Batista. The WWE class, Hall of Fame class of 2020, which will be inducted at WrestleMania. So there you go. That's the show. Every Monday and Thursday. iTunes, Spotify, on my website, dannypicard.com. Again, subscribe on YouTube, youtube.com slash dannypicard. Follow me on Twitter, at dannypicard. Enjoy the rest of your week, everybody. I am out. Talk to you soon. <laughs>